0: But if you try to ram down products and services down people's throats, because it's your quota, your bonus, your income, eventually it catches up to you. And so I'm all about, you know, what's good for you, what benefits you. And and this is why uh, I turned down many an opportunity because, you know, at an extreme, if Microsoft called me up and said, Would you become our evangelist for Windows? I couldn't do it because Because I don't believe that's good for people.
1: Welcome to The Ziegler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. Today, we talk with a legend, Guy Kawasaki. I just returned from social media marketing world to San Diego. Guy was a featured speaker there, and the Ziegler team and I got to spend half an hour or so with him just to pick his brain and get to know him better. Guy's got an incredible pedigree. He was the chief evangelist of Apple and a trustee of the Wikimedia Foundation. He's the author of The Art of the Start 2.0, The Art of Social media enchantment and nine other, other books a guy has a ba from stanford university and an mba from ucla Today, Guy is the chief evangelist of Canva, an online graphic design tool and a brand ambassador for Mercedes-Benz. He has over 10 million followers on social media and is just an incredibly unique individual. So this show had just so much value, also had a lot of laughs, so you're going to get a lot from listening in. You can connect with Guy at Guy Kawasaki. that's K-A-W-A-S-A-K-I dot com. Before we dig in, I want to tell you about a couple great artists offerings. Okay, friends here, then Mark, Tim, and I bring you a great conversation with Guy Kawasaki. Okay, Guy, I wanted to start us off with the important stuff and judging by your Instagram and Facebook feeds, it's surfing. Uh, I am an outdoor and a- athletic enthusiast to a great degree. I have never surfed, so I want to first start off with your evangelism for surfing
0: yes so surfing, which I took up very late in life, I took it up at sixty two which is roughly fifty five years too late <laughs> surfing and I, and I came from hockey to surfing because I loved hockey. I used to play hockey you know four times a week and now I surf four times a week it 's just it 's kind of a surrealistic feeling that you can go fast without any kind of battery engine anything and in a sense it's like skiing or snowboarding except you don't have to pay for the lift tickets and it doesn't have to be winter (laughs) and I mean there's a lot of differences Uh, it's really if you take it up late in life like I did it's very intellectually and physically challenging because it's, you know, very few sports do you have to have such a struggle to get to the point where it's fun. So, you know, with skiing or snowboarding, you get in a lift and it takes you to the top of the mountain and you, you know, come back down. But with surfing, you've got to power your way out in order to come back in. So it's very physically demanding. It's also mentally demanding that, it takes a long time to figure out where to sit, when to take off, which direction to take off. Uh, it's it's completely absorbing and it's kind of addicting. Uh, not kind of, it is addicting.
1: So how does that align with your overall, uh, your overall motive for, for life here and your business endeavors? Is this something that coincides or is it just a fun hobby?
0: I, I'd say that it, just another data point in my obsessive compulsive huh. personality that you know, when I do something I go all in or not at all. Uh, when I'm writing a book, I'm all in and I am, you know, printing it off fifty times. I'm reading it. I have the book. I found that really, uh, if you if you ever want a tip about writing, I just figured this out that it's very easy no matter what word processor you're using, uh, on a Macintosh anyway, to have the text read to you. And what I do now is I have the entire manuscript read to me because, you know, when you read your own manuscript, after about five minutes, you stop seeing the typos and where you say the, the, and ah, ah, and, you know, where you have repetition and where the, the, the verb is plural but the noun is singular. But when you're sitting there and you're not reading, but you're listening, and when the, when you're, the audible part comes and it hits a mistake, it's very obvious to, you, to your ear that you heard the mistake. So I, that is copy editing 2.0, where you have the book read to you. I think it's very, very
2: useful.
1: That is interesting. I'm not uh, I've not ever thought about that. Sometimes listening to myself on the podcast is very yeah. eye-opening and and sometimes a little I, little disturbing. I hate
0: listening to myself. I hate watching videos of my speeches because you know, if you watch a video of your speech, there's only downside, right? So you know where you you said the wrong word or you stumbled or you sneezed or you you know, you scratched your nose or something. Uh, nobody in the audience really cared, but you know. Yeah. And so there's nothing but downside. And I also, I never watch other speakers because if the speaker is better than me, I get depressed. And the speaker's worse than me, it's a waste of time. So there's
2: no upside.
1: Got it. Got it. <laughs> I'll remember... I'll remember that before before I send my video to you, yeah. Let
2: me (laughs) jump in here, Kevin, because I know uh, I I did my own homework on Guy, and, and, you know, I I know your work, and we're going to get into that. But something else I really saw that you've been posting a lot is uh, family. And so, you know, so outside of surfing, it sounds like family is pretty important to you, and not necessarily just your family, but, like, what's your, you know, Evangelistic pitch for family because you you get the benefit of seeing me. This is my family yeah. right back here. I've got six yeah. teenagers, my friend. So family is pretty important to me right now, and it sounds like it's important to you. So tell us more about that. How many teenagers? How I have, teenagers have six. Do you have? Well, I, I've got one that yeah. just turned twenty. So uh, so five teenagers and a twenty year old. So pray for me. Well,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, what I figured out is. You know, do you ever meet people and they 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 don't have kids and they say, "Yeah, but uh, I have a niece and a nephew, so you know, I understand child raising." It's like, no, you don't. You have no idea. I mean, you those kids you can just send back at the end of the day. All right, that's (laughs) not how it is. And then a step back from that is when you meet a couple and they have one child. And they're saying, Yeah, we know all about child raising. No, you don't. When the when the adults outnumber the kids, it's still easy. Even two kids, when it's still one-on-one, it's when you have to go to zone. So when it's two on six, you know, when you're outnumbered three to one or two to one, that's when it gets interesting. And I, I got I gotta tell you, you know. Huh, I used to be this typical kind of Asian-American. You know, your kids have to start violin at age two, and they have to go to Kumon and learn calculus at age three. And at age five, they have to start their not-for-profit because if they don't get into the right kindergarten, they won't get into the right elementary. They won't get into the right intermediate. They won't get into the right high school. They won't get into Dartmouth, and you know, their life is ruined. But I'll tell you something. By the time you get to the fourth child, they're not in the hospital, they're not in jail. It's a good day, it's a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so, that so that's quotable yeah the my, my kids they are just the light of my life um, That's all. i i i yeah four of them all four of them surf. so there are moments where there are four of them and me in the water, and you know it cannot get better than that now. You could make the case that you could go skiing with your kids. You could go snowboarding with your kids, you know, that kind of thing. I think which is close. But with surfing, you're all within about 20 or 30 feet all the time, right? Whereas when you're skiing, the better skiers like down the hill and you're still coming down. So uh, surfing and kids are made for each other. It is really a great feeling.
1: Well, I need to try it, Mark. That's a call out for us. I do skiing with my kids. Yeah. They like to go through the woods, and at some point, I end up alone with a tree <laughs> while they've gone ahead, and it's much more painful than the water. So, I'm, I'm, uh, I think we need to head to the beach, Mark.
2: I love that idea, and I got to tell you, guy, you know, you, we share something in common with our kids, and I know yeah. with Kevin as well. Is uh, you know, yesterday I had to go to Chicago on a, a quick, really quick trip. And I didn't want to go by myself, so I grabbed my son, my 20-year-old son. I took him. I do a five-minute recap of my day every night, and I just point out the highlight of my day. And I've got a lot of things going on in my life professionally, personally. But the highlight of my day was being in a car with my son and just talking to him, just listening to him, him asking me questions, and realizing at this stage of my life, the fact that he's willing to ask me questions is awesome, you know, about... Faith and about girls and about marriage and about education and finances. I don't want to ever take that for granted. So I know you're experiencing it out on the surfboard. I did just in a car ride yesterday, and I I wrote that down because I never want to forget that car ride. Yeah. Those kind of connections trump experiences right now for me.
0: That's a fantastic story. You know, the closest thing I have to that is, so my daughter is 16 years old, right? And uh, did you watch Fred Flintstones as a kid?
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: okay. So, you know, in the the pre-roll for Fred Flintstones where uh, he's in the quarry and they blow the whistle and it goes, whoo, and he jumps down the brontosaurus and he's just, you know, just booking it out of there, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: that's what we're like. So, today's Friday. I pick up my daughter at you know, quarter to three. The whistle blows and we are headed to the beach. <laughs> And, and so, you know, I, I ask her, so do any of your other friends, do they spend nearly the time that you do with me? And the answer is no, all our friends, they're partying, they go shopping, they go whatever, right? And, and she and I, and my other kids, we go to the beach and much of the time we're surfing. Now, my daughter is much better than I, so she may go to a different break, (laughs) but, but we're still in the same ocean <laughs> most of the time. So, I can absolutely relate to uh what you just said.
1: Absolutely. Well, well guy looking at your looking at your work that you're uh, that 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 supports your family and blesses your family I mean, you have over 10 million followers over your social media outlets. You're a massive influencer. Where did this start? I don't know that part of your story. When did you become the Guy Kawasaki we all know now? At some point, you were a kid like yours, just some young punk. Yeah. What happened? The catalyst for this journey for you as the king of enchanting evangelism? <laughs>
0: well, which version of this story do you want? The one that, like, I planned it, I, I it's all intellectual, it was all strategic? Or you want to know the truth? Because the, the, the... the two are very different.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want the ugly sorted story.
0: Okay. The ugly. How, how long do we have? <laughs> to as
1: long as you want. This is your. This is your show. You just have to make your flight later. Right now, so.
0: <laughs> so, so listen. I I I'm from Honolulu, and uh, I went to school on the mainland at, at Stanford, and at Stanford I met a guy who you know is my lifelong friend, and after. At the time that I was at Stanford, this is the mid-70s, if you're an Asian American, your parents wanted you to be a doctor, lawyer, or dentist, okay? So at Stanford, I took this course as an undergrad where you go to Stanford Hospital and you walk around uh, the hospital. And the first day of that class, I fainted. So I knew I couldn't be a doctor. And and then the next thing, you know, I thought, well, do you want to stick your hand in people's mouths your whole life? So dentistry was out. Meanwhile, my father was a legislator in Hawaii, so he wanted me to go to law school. So I go to law school. I quit after two weeks. I could not stand it. So I leave law school. I go back and get an MBA. Believe it or not, I started working in the jewelry business. And from the jewelry business, this friend of mine from Stanford brought me into Apple, into the Macintosh division. So that's where I made the leap from counting diamonds to kind of being in tech. And at At Apple, my job was to convince companies to write Mac software. I was Apple's software evangelist. And evangelism comes from Greek words, meaning bringing the good news. So I brought the good news of Macintosh, that Macintosh made people more creative and productive. So in the religion called Macintosh, I was a high priest. Uh, You could say I was almost the pope, Steve Jobs being God, of course. So, So I was evangelizing Macintosh all over the place. And so I, I got to be well-known because of that, as a, a Macintosh evangelist. And fast forward a few decades, so now I'm pretty well-known in the tech world for Macintosh. I started some software companies, you know, that kind of thing. And then Twitter happened, and social media happened. And at first, I was very skeptical, because you know, the first time I went to Twitter, you go to the Twitter homepage, and Lonely Boy 16 says, you know, my cat rolled over. Well, you know, I don't care about your cat, and I don't care about Lonely Boy Sixteen. Besides that, looked, Twitter looked like really useful, right? And I I could not relate to Twitter, but finally, I I started searching for my name and products that I knew and stuff, and I noticed there's a lot of engagement about products and services and stuff that I was interested in. So the the the. the know the scales were removed from my eyes about social media and because of my background at Apple and my notoriety and somewhat visibility in tech I got a lot of followers quickly because back in the old days it was a land grab so when people joined Twitter and whatever they were looking for people to follow and since I was already visible they followed me and you know, that's how I got to where I have some like 12 million followers today. Um, so there was no plan. It was because in the wild, wild west of the social media, you look for people that you recognize to follow, thinking that they would be interesting. So in a sense, it took me 30 years to get to today. I was an instant success. <laughs>
1: I I love it. Well, And on that, I want to ask about that. I mean, for you, obviously there's, you know, the skills that you may have, but your ability and and as you're known by your evangelism and your spirit with this, did you wake up, uh, born this inspiration (laughs) virus guy? Is that just naturally who you are or is it who you have learned to be evolved into?
0: Uh, the turning point was reading Zig Ziglar's book. Um,
1: Thanks yeah. you for that we'll send a check <laughs> love it uh, just it invoices I mean? thank you <laughs> got it no no got seriously
0: it. i did read his book though uh because when i was in college i really wanted to be in business you know i wanted to start a company and this this is also true after apple so you know being in silicon valley the heroes are hewlett and packard right they started this company and And Intel started a company. National Semiconductor started a company. Later on, Lotus Development started a software company. Software Publishing Corporation. You know, these kind of things. So these were our heroes. You know, not Tom Brady. It was Hewlett and Packard. And so I started reading this body of knowledge. And fundamentally in technology, there's only two real roles. You can either make it or sell it. And I wasn't an engineer. So I had to sell it. And so in that path, I started reading books and it was Peter Drucker, Zig Ziglar, you know, uh, another guy that I came to later, but has been very influential is Bob Cialdini. He wrote the book influence Mm -hmm. and I read all these books. And so I, I, I don't think, well, it's, it's an oversimplification to say you're born an evangelist or you're born a salesperson. Uh, I think you know some people are naturally more outgoing, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that evangelists and great salespeople are made more than they are born. And in my slanted view of the world, what makes a great evangelist or a great salesperson is the affiliation with a great product. And so this is called Guy's Golden Touch. So Guy's Golden Touch is not whatever I touch turns to gold. I wish that was true. Guy's Golden Touch is whatever is gold, Guy touches. And so I've been very fortunate in my career to touch gold. I touched Macintosh. Uh, If Macintosh was a piece of crap, well, you probably wouldn't be interviewing me today. So the key to evangelism is create or find something great, because then evangelism
1: is easy. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show.
2: All right, so Guy, you've you've mentioned evangelism, to evangelize multiple times here. So, you know, you've even kind of defined it, and I know the definition, you know, if you look it up, is to convert or seek to convert somebody. So today... As you think about that, what do you most want to convert people to?
0: huh I uh, I have a, a mantra for my life, so I don't believe in mission statements. You know, fifty word long things about we endeavor to create a world class product that exceeds the expectations of our customers while providing a meaningful return to our shareholders while enabling our employees to self-actualize their life goals okay
1: yes yeah i just fell asleep
0: (laughs) (laughs) so I, i believe in mantras two or three words so the mantra for my life is empower people i want to empower people i want to empower people with my writing my speaking my investing my advising my podcast whatever it is and so The big picture for me is I want to empower people and and I want to make the world a meritocracy where it doesn't matter where you're born, who you're born to, you know, what family, what socioeconomic status, whatever. It's a meritocracy. If you're good and you work hard, you succeed. That's kind of my big picture.
1: Is that the uh, teaching that is priority for your kids?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's why you should never be on a podcast. <laughs> um, that, that's yeah. I I can't tell you that I'm this fantastic parent who uh, it it it's it's hard raising kids is hard, man. Right? Because you know there's there's but in Silicon Valley there are the holocaust the helicopter parents and what they do is they hover over the kid and you know, they kind of do everything for them. Right. There's also the lawnmower parent who gets in front of the kid and mows everything down. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to be the drone parent where you are like above it all and you're kind of watching, but you're electric. So they kill, they can't hear you. You may drop down when there's dire emergency, but generally speaking, you know, you, you're not lawnmowing and you're not helicoptering. Um, but it's a challenge because, you know, when I know intellectually that sometimes you have to let your kids make a mistake, right? But it's so hard to resist trying to micromanage kids, just like micromanaging employees. And, um, Yeah, I'll be the first to admit, man. Parenting, parenting is hard. I, I I, hope you're not having me on your show for parenting tips because you picked the wrong guest.
1: <laughs> uh, no, we're going for we're going for candid and understanding how you how you tick. And, and uh, you know, what? I want to ask on that. Yeah. You talked about. Go ahead, Mark.
2: I'm just going to say we picked the right guy because people people feel like they nobody can relate to them. And they look at Facebook and it yeah. looks like everybody's got it figured out. But they went through a yeah, thousand right. photos to find the one photo that actually looks like they've got it figured out. But the truth is, we do some work at Ziegler Family. And what we found is everybody's yeah. on the same island. It's not easy for anybody. And so, you know, so the yeah. more they, people can hear that it's hard for you and hard for me and hard for Kevin, the more they realize they're normal. And so so we need more people yeah, yeah. like you on family programs family <laughs> podcasts, and family podcasts than people who, quote, have it all figured out because nobody can relate to them. So thank you for being real <laughs> and honest about that because it is hard.
0: Well, I, I I could tell you that anybody who thinks they have it all figured out is probably the least likely to have it all figured out. I mean, you, you got to know what you don't know. Uh, that's step one. It's kind of like, you know. Hi, my name is Guy, and I'm a lousy parent.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you. we'll We'll cho- we'll uh, we'll join that club with you. Hey, um, I want to ask. I mean, you talked about Zig's book, yeah. and you mentioned something that I had written down, which is you know, all business comes down to two fundamental skills: making something and selling it. Yeah. And everything else is secondary. And then you go on to say evangelism is the purest form of sales. Yes. I mean, sales is a huge topic here at Ziegler, yeah. but I want to ask you to expand on that aspect of evangelism as a primary part, the primary por- part, purest form of sales. <laughs> okay. As you Okay.
0: So the reason why I believe it's the purest form of sales is that much of sales is about what's good for you. It's your income, your quota, your bonus, you know, your million dollar roundtable achievement, you know, whatever, right? But I think that evangelism is a purer form because evangelism is about the other person's best interests, not yours. So when I tell you to use a Macintosh, it's because I think a Macintosh will make you more creative and productive. Today, I'm chief evangelist for a company called Canva. It's an online graphics design service. And when I tell you or ask you or evangelize you to use Canva, it's because I truly do believe it will make you a more effective communicator to have beautiful graphics. Now, don't get me wrong. If you use Canva or if you use Macintosh, it does benefit me. But the fundamental reason that I'm evangelizing these things is because it's good for you. Not because it's good for me. And so I think that is the purest form of sales. When you truly have the other person's interests at heart, at heart first and foremost. And I also believe, perhaps naively and romantically, that if that is true, when all the dust settles, it will also be good for you. But if you try to ram down products and services down people's throats because it's your quota, your bonus, your income. Eventually, it catches up to you. And so I'm all about, you know, what's good for you, what benefits you. And and this is why uh, I've turned down many an opportunity because, you know, at an extreme, if Microsoft called me up and said, would you become our evangelist for Windows? I couldn't do it because I don't believe that's good for people. All right? So, All right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how I roll.
2: You know, Guy, I got to tell you right now, we, we lost Zig a few years ago. And uh, right now, yeah. I think he's smiling down right now at what you just said because he spent 40 yeah. years. Really, we remember him most for this one quote, and it's, you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And really that in a nutshell is, is kind of what you were saying about if you are the right evangelist, if you're doing it from the purest form of helping other people, it's going to all work out for you. And, you know, and that was the core premise. And that's also, you know, why his, you know, his secrets of, of selling went over so well, because that was the core premise of his selling. You can't just, sell somebody and you win you got to sell to where they win and then if you do that enough times you'll win big time but it's got they have yeah, I, to win in that equation
1: well listen you know
0: i i know many many great sales like a million dollar round table all these kind of people and they are like that they they you know when you sell insurance it's because you you want to evangelize other people's peace of mind right Or if you're a financial planner, it's about other people's peace and mind. Don't get me wrong; you also make income for yourself. But I think that's the high road, and I think that that is really the path to success. And it's kind of a double bottom line. It's not just financial success. It's also you know you can sleep at night knowing that you made people more creative or productive, as opposed to you made your quota. So I think that's the way. It. I also think that. What's required in this perspective is you have to believe that life is not a zero-sum game. You have to believe that the rising tide floats all boats. And so other people's success doesn't detract from your success. It's not a limited pie. It's an infinite pie. And everybody can eat pie. Uh but there are a lot of people who don't go through life like that. They think, you know, if you eat the pie, I eat less. I, that's why I have to eat faster and more than you. And that—that's just wrong.
1: I love it. We need a pie sponsor and, <laughs> and use that and use that clip. Well, and I, I want to ask about that because, yeah, I know. I mean, you are touted as as this this uh, chief evangelist for well, in general. That then uh, obviously people want to apply to their products. And you mentioned Canva. And so just as a case study and all the people that you're uh, approached by, you have, I don't know how recent it was, but you're an evangelist for Mercedes. Why? Yes. Why, why? And do you drive one? Oh, (laughs)
0: listen, uh, being a brand ambassador for Mercedes is in the category of, you know, somebody has to do every job in the world. And that one, you know, I accept my burden the of tough being line. a city brand ambassador, <laughs> and and every year they tell me, "Well, which car do you want?" And it's it's got to be done. You know, I I'm trying to reduce unemployment in the automotive business. Um, I, I believe in the product, and it's a great product. It it you know it's. <laughs> Yeah, let's not go down that hole. We could talk the whole time about cars and surfing. Uh, I I happen to just love cars, and I love Mercedes. And at any given moment, I'm always flipping through cars because they always see the uh, the Mercedes brand ambassador program. Until I arrived, it was people like Roger Federer, Tennis, uh, Roger, uh, Garrett McNamara, big wave surfer. Uh, they had the first Formula One female driver. So they have drivers and surfers and explorers and, you know, all these like totally bleeding edge falls to the walls, you know, can you say that on Zig Ziglar? Uh, You know, (laughs) kind of people. And then there's me and I'm the tech evangelist. So uh, it's, that's been a really fun thing too. Uh, I can't, listen, I, I lead a charm life. What can I say? And, and, I justify that, but, you know, maybe I lead a charm life because I'm a giver. I help a lot of people. So I believe in karma. I believe that, you know, you, you rack up karmic points.
1: Well, so on that, charming uh, and enchanting. And you yeah. talked earlier about Guy's golden touch and the point of, touching what turns to gold. So, so many of us listening here in this audience have a product, have a service. Obviously, if it's somebody who's looking to get involved with something, it's go find what is gold to you. And I got that message. I think they do yeah. too. But for those of us who have a product, have a service, have a message, something that we want, we want to make golden so that you and a million other people would want to touch it. So as you're yeah. speaking to us with our products, with our service, what are some of your top tier coming from your evangelistic make it enchanting perspective uh top attributes for us to turn around look back at our step back at our products and services and look at where we might be missing it
0: okay so um i think the big test is does it jump to the next curve so by this i mean is it disruptive and innovative so I'll, i'll go back in history So there used to be an ice harvesting business. This is 1900, where you'd go out to a frozen lake or a frozen pond, and you would cut a block of ice. So that helped people. Now you didn't have to go get your own ice block. You you could store food longer. 30 years later, there's Ice 2.0, which is now the ice factory. This is a big technological breakthrough because now it didn't have to be winter, and it didn't have to be a cold place. 30 more years go by. And now there's the refrigerator curve. And now you didn't have to be near an ice factory. You could be anywhere. You, and you had your own ice factory. It's called a personal chiller or a refrigerator. And so the key here is that you know, the, the ice harvester never became the ice factory. And the ice factory never became the refrigerator company because most people define themselves in terms of what they already do. So if you say well I'm in the business of cutting blocks of ice in the winter you don't embrace the ice factory. If you say well I freeze water centrally, put the blocks of ice in the truck and deliver the ice, then you don't embrace refrigerator. It, you know if if you are Kodak and you say well my business is we put chemicals on film. If you're Polaroid, you say we put chemicals on paper. Well then guess what? Those two companies were so late to embracing digital photography right life passed them by and so if you define yourself at a higher level so the ice harvester the ice factory the refrigerator company they are all in the same business they're in the convenience and cleanliness business you use their products you can store food longer and in safer conditions. so that's the business they're in so theoretically if you're an ice harvester, you say, I'm in the cleanliness and convenience business. I just learned about ice factories. That is a lot better than the business I'm in. I don't have to be in a cold city in the winter. And if you're an ice factory, you say, wow, so I can deliver ice you know, for 50 miles in a truck. But now I could be in a business where everybody could have a refrigerator. I need to get to that business. If you're Polaroid or Kodak, you say, wow, we're in the business of preserving memory, not applying chemicals to film or chemicals to paper. So a better way to preserve a memory is digital photography. So we should get to that curve. And so that's the big picture. You've got to get to the next curve. Now, some quality is one level lower. Uh, I have an acronym called DICE, D-I-C-E-E. So the D in DICE stands for deep. Great products, great services, they're deep. They've, They've figured out what you need as you come up the power curve. The I stands for intelligent. When you look at it, you say, uh-huh, this company figured out my pain. This company figured out my problem. They're smart. So an example of this is in Germany, Mercedes is running a test with their smart cars where DHL has a smartphone app that shows where the recipient's car is as opposed to house. So, you know, all of us have gone home and we find a little tag that says we tried to deliver your mm-hmm. package today. You weren't home. We're going to try to deliver it tomorrow. If you're not home tomorrow, we're sending it back. Well, DHL with Mercedes has fixed this problem because the DHL app shows you where your car is, not where your house. So you go to the car, the the app opens up the car, you put the package in the back and you leave. That's much better than leaving a note at your house. And for DHL and the environment's perspective, Imagine if you could go to a company parking lot with 200 cars and make 20 deliveries instead of going to 20 houses, leaving tags. So that's intelligent. Mm -hmm. Complete means it's the totality of your service. So it's not just the software. It's the services. It's the uh, third-party developers. It's the totality. When you buy a phone, you get the apps, you get the genius bar, you get the repair, you you get the online support. The first E in DICE stands for empowerment, that it makes you better. It doesn't fight you. And the last E is elegance, where it's about the user interface and the human design. So the short answer, trying to shorten this all down, is you want something that jumps to the next curve, and it's deep, intelligent, complete, empowering, and elegant.
2: All right, so... (laughs) <laughs> Number one, I love that and I've got that down and I, I think that's, that's beautiful. And so I, I remember, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a quote that, uh, that, that I saw in your research. You said, um, and it's right. It, it goes right along with what you were saying here. It says, if you're not excited about a particular market or a particular product or something, you said you really should find something that excites you. Because it's yeah. not just about the money, it's also about what interests you. So how deep, you talked about going deep, how deep do you want people to go? Believing in the product or service is one thing, but the company as well? You know, it's people and ethos here.
0: Uh, it's. I think it's the total package. and But I have to tell you, since that quote and since that writing, I've had another thought which kind of conflicts this thought, okay? Because I've noticed something. So with me, I have to tell you, when I first saw Macintosh, it was a religious experience. Okay, the, the scales were removed from my eyes. I started hearing angels sing, the the clouds parted. Really, I when I first saw Mac Payne and Mac Wright, it was religious first time i stood up on a surfboard it was religious okay so that that's the extreme i'm talking about but i will tell you just to be practical and to show you that i have an open mind that can handle conflicting data points i can also tell you that it is possible that you go to work for a company and you know on a scale of 1 to 10 maybe you're a 6 or 7 you're excited about it right and so so maybe you go to work for a company, and you're on a scale of six to seven. You need to work, so you go there. And then lo and behold, you go to this company, and all of a sudden, it's just selling tens of thousands of widgets. And the reviews are great. People are loving it. And you can, you can just, you can't make them fast enough. Up until you joined this company, you could care less about this widget. It was a job. but You go there. And and it's selling like hotcakes, and now all of a sudden, you know, they're recruiting a lot of great people, and there's free sushi, and there's volleyball at lunchtime, and you know, there's like, uh, the, they have affordable dentists come, and you know, they have an automobile service, and they fix your car while you work, and you get free back robes at your desk, and you know, everything is going great. What I've noticed is, man, all of a sudden, you love widgets. You believe in widgets. So so I, I, I honestly think that it can happen both ways. You can fall in love with something and just, you know, for me, Macintosh, it changes your life. But you can also start in something that you're neutral about. And it does so well that all of a sudden, man, I am a widget evangelist. It can go both
2: ways. I like it.
1: Okay, so I... I love that and you had me at Free Sushi as well. I can always just for just for the record, I can be bought for good sushi. That's 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 a fact. That is a religious experience as well. But so so culturally right now in this culture we're in, and not to just focus on millennials specifically, but obviously they're a hot topic right now. If you're giving a you know commencement speech to to kids heading off uh you know after college with that bent, give them some direction on where to go, how to find that place, that goal for them. Again, I love that, that it may, what if they're not? Cause I think that's, I, I have, I have kids of that age and they're looking and going, Oh, what's the Holy grail. I, I've, I've brainwashed them so much. I think I've handicapped <laughs> them that they they're looking for their, their religious experience. And you're saying, hey, you know, you might be able to do it with the six and it's something yeah. that you can grow into. So give it, give them some counsel. This is for my kids.
0: Well, yeah. Well, not mine, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, What I tell kids now is over the course of your career, you will probably work for five, 10, maybe even 15 companies, right? So I think, and I was like this too, when you're in college and you're about to graduate, you think you need to make the perfect decision because you think that this first job is going to make you or break you. And it's just not true anymore that, You know, you don't you don't graduate from college and then you go to work for Goldman Sachs and you stay at Goldman Sachs for 30 years or you go to work for Procter & Gamble, you stay there for 30 years or Boeing or Apple or Nike or anything. You're going to work in five, 10, maybe 15 companies in the next 30 years. And so I think this this means that, you know, you can kind of chill out that that the expectation that you work. a a minimum of five to 10 years at every job, or you look like you're flaky. It's just not true anymore. I think that that number is maybe a year. If you work a year at a company, you kind of pass the flakiness test at this point. And so this means that you can chill and you can explore and you don't have to worry that much that you're tarnishing your LinkedIn profile. Uh, It's a, it's a very different world. And I, 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 I guess I just believe that more data is better than less. So I went from the jewelry business to technology, right? I mean, my first job out of school was in the jewelry business and I ended up being what I am in tech. Now, I, I don't wanna burst any bubbles for you, but if you think that as a college senior, I sat down and said, okay, the way to get to be a tech leader is to start by counting diamonds. That's the plan. I don't want to burst your bubble. I I went into the jewelry business because it was lucrative and I had a guaranteed position and it was easy. I I didn't, you know, I wasn't waking up in the morning thinking jewelry is going to make the world a better place. Um, It, it, one of the things that people from Silicon Valley are very good at is declaring victory. Hmm. And, um, You know, the way it works in Silicon Valley, whether you're an investor or an entrepreneur, or you're just talking about your career, we throw a lot of things against the wall. A few of them stick. We go up to the wall with our paintbrush, and we paint the bullseye around it, and we step back, and we say, we hit the bullseye. Mm. I guarantee you that's the way to hit the bullseye. So, you know. I am very fortunate. I had a good career in tech and writing. So I declare victory. You know, I knew I was going to go into tech and I knew I was going to be a writer. I painted the bullseye. I hit the bullseye. Let me tell you something totally untrue. Uh, I never planned to be a writer. My English teacher, you know, may he rest in peace. He's in heaven right now. And I'm telling you, he is just cracking up. He's saying of all my students, guy wrote 14 books. (laughs) <laughs> you know Surely, surely the universe is askew. How could it be Guy that wrote the fourteen books? Who knew? All right. So um, Guy so I guess the message uh, is chill out.
2: I have to tell you, on that note, um, you probably already know this, yeah. but uh the majority of our Ziegler audience is listening to you right now. They are small business owners, they're yeah. solopreneurs, they're freelancers, they're contractors, they're coaches, yeah. they're consultants. So Help us right now with what is the primary shift that you want us to make um, from the normal thinking, the normal paradigm of sales, marketing, promotion, et cetera, et cetera, to this spreading the good news world that you've been talking about?
0: Um, I'll give you a conceptual model that, that I think can act as a very good guiding light. So, you draw a graph, uh, vertical line, horizontal line. The vertical line is the degree of differentiation. So how different are you? How unique are you? The horizontal line is value. So when you're far out on the right, you're very valuable. When you're far to the left, it means you're not valuable. So it's uniqueness and value. And as a conceptual model, whether you're big business, small business, solopreneur, or whatever you are, you want to be in the upper right-hand corner because in the upper right-hand corner, what you do is valuable and unique. So if you're valuable but not unique, you always have to compete on price because people can get your same valuable thing from other people. If you're unique but not valuable, then you're just plain stupid because you've created something that nobody cares about. If you're not unique and not valuable, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. You're just a total loser. So (laughs) the place you need to be is unique and valuable. So if you're a real estate broker, if you're a solo entrepreneur, if you're a chef, if you're an author, if you're a salesperson, whatever it is, how are you unique and valuable? How is your... How is the car that you're selling unique and valuable? You know, if you're Volvo, maybe the uniqueness is you have the safest car. If you're uh, if you're selling computers, your computer is the easiest to use. If you you know, and so you have to, and it's not it's not jumping through hoops to you know, kind of invent yourself to put yourself mentally into that corner. It has to be true. So when iPod first came out, it was unique and valuable because it was the only place you could get a lot of music inexpensively and legally and easily. It was a unique and valuable thing. And so I think all of marketing boils down to that. How are you unique and valuable? How is it that what you do is different and good? And that means at some level you have to produce something that's unique and valuable, but it also means you have to communicate and make the world understand that you're unique and valuable. And that's it. That's all you need to know. That's all the marketing anybody needs to know.
1: There we go. Everybody just went to school. Thank you on that. (laughs) So I'm going to end with just a curiosity as we all look out at the marketplace and look at opportunities. You know, like uh, people ask Warren Buffett, if you, uh, you know, if you had to start all over again, where would you start? Where would you invest? And so kind of with that perspective yeah. in mind, when you look out at the marketplace, where is a product, a service, an industry that is is ripe for, needs some evangelistic juice a la Guy yeah. Kawasaki?
0: Well, in a rare moment of humility, let me tell you that I really don't have a clue. <laughs> um and and I would say that anybody who tells you they know what's going to happen beyond maybe six months is delusional, uh, because listen, I'm in the tech business, and you know a few years ago I remember where everybody said that MySpace is going to dominate the internet. MySpace will be the operating system of the internet, and there'll be little niches like Amazon and Apple and Microsoft you know but generally speaking all of the internet is MySpace MySpace is the great mall of America and and obviously it didn't exactly shake out that way right mm-hmm. and so I looked at that I said wow everybody predicted MySpace would be the operating system of the internet and now it's gone and nobody even heard of Facebook back then so I tell you this cautionary tale because nobody really knows and so Rather than making these predictions, I think the richest vein, although it, it sounds a little shaky, is that you you create or you work for or with on products and services that you love. I loved Macintosh. I love Canva. And you then just hope that you are not the only nutcase in the world who loves it. So when Stephen Woz created an Apple One, there was no proven personal computer market. There were no experts saying that personal computers is going to be a huge business. They created Apple because they created an Apple One that they wanted to use. And so I'm not saying this is 100% guaranteed, but I think you know if you are a chef, make the food that you want to eat. Yeah. You know, if, if you're making a computer, make the computer that you want to use. And just hope that you're not the only person.
1: Got it. That's a quote right there. And it's even better than the phone ringing in the background, which is just shows us we're candid uh, in Guy Kawasaki. (laughs) We'll title that candid in Guy Kawasaki's hotel room. Uh, There you go. I feel like we're sitting at the feet of the, of the humble professor. Um, Thank you. You know what? I do want to ask one more question. Okay. So looking at you, uh, yesterday and just kind of reviewing all your stuff. I saw this, what looks like a fairly new, uh, effort and this show on Facebook wise guy. And I want to ask you real quick about that. Tell people what's happening on there. I liked what I saw, but I also uh, will admit my ignorance in that type of a genre and format on Facebook. So uh, give us some insight here.
0: Yeah. So, um, Facebook is kind of going after the YouTube educational video thing. And so Facebook is kind of going after YouTube. And so for Facebook to go after YouTube, they need content producers. And so for example, Mike Rowe is doing a show where he goes around America um, and interviews all the people who are doing good. And so I'm one of those people who Facebook wanted to create content. So my content is about entrepreneurship and innovation and disruption. So that's supposed to be uh, You know, two to 10 minute videos, sort of short courses. This is how you optimize your social media platform. This is how you do something you know, very contained. Think of each session as one chapter of a book. And that's a new effort for Facebook. And I happen to love social media because I think social media is kind of a meritocracy, right? It's, mm-hmm. It's like it's fast, it's free, it's ubiquitous. And the best content wins. So that's what that's about.
1: All right. Well, hey, thank you, thank you for that. Thanks for disrupting some of our perspectives today, folks. I would <laughs> really encourage you to go check out Wise Guy on Facebook. I love the blips. And as much as you don't like watching your own video, I got <laughs> great value watching your video, guy. Thanks. Well, thank thanks so much for being with us today.
0: It's truly fun, and I I hope that you know. So, people can watch this and it'll help them with their
1: career. It will. Well, there you go, friends. Incredible insight into being an evangelist. I mean, shouldn't we all be doing work we want? to be an evangelist for. Uh, you can connect with Guy again at Guy Kawasaki, K-A-W-A-S-A-K-I dot com. Well, coming up next, we go behind the scenes with Guy in our Habits show where we follow the seven spokes of the Ziegler Wheel of Life and find out Guy's challenges and habits. Some of the highlights, as you heard in the show, he's a huge surfing fan. That's a great thing that he does to stay in shape and also to connect with his family. Speaking of family, family vacations are a a big priority for his family health as far as his own health he's resolved to not eat a french fry for three years or drink a coke for two he's a christian but doesn't claim to be a great role model and he really separates god from religion he attributes his career success much to luck but he admits to working very hard and working a lot so there's just a couple things get the rest in the show folks thank you so much for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.